0: Hi, I'm Michael O'Connell, host of the It's All Journalism podcast. For more than a decade, It's All Journalism has produced a weekly podcast featuring interviews with working journalists, educators, and media thought leaders, all discussing the ever-changing media landscape. We've covered a wide range of topics, such as solutions to journalism, mental health in the newsroom, local news startups, investigative reporting, online harassment, and new technology. Over the years, It's All Journalism partnerships have played important roles in expanding our reach and ensuring that we are able to continue producing our weekly podcast series. We are currently seeking new partners to help us keep this podcast going. If you believe in It's All Journalism's mission, if you want to see these conversations continue, go to itsalljournalism.com and click on the partnerships link and find out how we can share your company or organization's good work with a wider audience. Maybe we can produce a podcast series for you or host your next webinar. The It's All Journalism team is ready to spotlight your organization's good work and keep these important conversations going. Go to itsalljournalism.com, click on the partnerships link, and let's collaborate. And now, here's our latest episode.
1: There are these like little organizations being put together, but I don't think that's necessarily helping they're still going missing. Like every other day, we, you'll hear someone just going missing. Someone being murdered.
0: What if nothing is being done about the ongoing violence, sex trafficking, and murder that's happening in the community you cover? If you're a reporter, you report the story to raise awareness so that the crimes can no longer be ignored, or at least that's how it's supposed to be. I'm Michael O'Connell, and this is It's All Journalism. Cyrus Norcross is a former Army Ranger turned Navajo journalist who covers indigenous affairs, specifically missing and murdered indigenous people. He's won awards from the Veterans in Journalism Association, Native American Journalist Association, and the Arizona Newspaper Association. And he's here to talk all about that. Cyrus, welcome to the Atel Journalism podcast. Thank you for having me. Okay. So where to begin? You. you <laughs> many different avenues we could go here, but let's start with growing up and how you became a an army ranger. What led you to that?
1: So I grew up in a, in a household where we, our family comes from a legacy of people serving, you know, family serving going all the way back, like to fighting the Spanish when the Spanish first came. Um, one of the stories is actually by great, 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 great grandfather, Killing a Ute chief's son earned his name because he kept that person's horse. So they started calling him Gray Horse. And essentially, like, believed that by, you know, the guy with the gray horse or the person who took the gray horse or the guy who killed the guy with the gray horse. So but it goes all the way back there. Then you know, World War One, World War II, Korea, Vietnam, my father, cousin serving in the Gulf War. So I kind of was like, you know, I want to join the military. And when i first talked to the recruiter i said i want to be a green beret right off the bat i want to go sf i want to be special forces and the guy looked at me and goes you're you're too young you have to wait till you're 21 i was like well i just want to be special operations i don't want to be anything else and he goes well there's this thing called army rangers it's 75th ranger regiment have you have you heard of it now i, I don't know because we well, have seen black hawk down I was like yes he goes well those are army rangers and i was like oh well you know i want to do that so i end up getting the contract for it's called option 40 so it basically made me go through this pipeline to what they call the ranger indoctrination program so that's the selection program for rangers you gotta go to airborne school as well so you gotta jump out of airplanes first before you get before you can go to that so that's how I got it there I went through the program ranger indoctrination program and eventually, I passed, and I got to a first ranger battalion.
0: Oh wow! Now you're wearing a hat, Iraqi freedom veteran. I take it you were a veteran during that period.
1: I was. So I went to I went to Iraq once, and I went to Afghanistan twice. So did deployments over overseas as a ranger, all with first ranger battalion, and did some a lot of missions.
0: <laughs> so you mentioned your great, great 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 grandfather and the story of the of the gray horse you chose a path that sort of honored your, your family's commitment to the military. Are you a family of like storytellers? Is that maybe you see that maybe as a link?
1: Yeah. I've always been really interested in in storytelling growing up. I was very fascinated with how movies were made. And so I was like, always like looking in the back, like learning about screenwriters or people were learning about actors. I was like, who wrote this story? Like who directed this story? But I ended up joining theater as a high school and I was, I wasn't an actor, but I I found it really fascinating of like how, what the process is to create a story. Theater is all story movies, all stories. So I, I always found that interesting. So a lot of my family members, like, I just grew up always hearing stories, hear stories from my grandma, like growing up with wagons and, you know, like you hear all these crazy stories. And back in the 20s and 30s and 40s, while the rest of America was being industrialized and people were having vehicles here on Navajo Nation, people were still roaming around with wagons.
0: Hmm. Wow. So, you know, what was the transition from being an Army Ranger to be a journalist? What led you down that path? Oh, that's
1: that's a long story. <laughs> well,
0: we're here for long stories. but I assume at some point you left the military.
1: <laughs> I did. So while I'm still in, I'm probably one of the only people within the military. I was always roaming around with the camera. I was roaming around with the camera taking photos. I jumped out of airplanes taking photos. And, you know, people were like, Man, Cyrus, you ever thought about becoming a combat cameraman? So that was an actual job in the military. And I had an opportunity to go for it, but but I didn't. And so I was like, Man, I should have did that. I should have just become a combat cameraman. So I get out of the army back in two thousand thirteen. First thing I did was I walked up to Navajo Times, which is the paper here for Navajo Nation. Walked in, looked at the editor, and I was like, I want a job. <laughs> they looked at him like, who are you? He's like,
0: uh, There's a broom over there. Go yeah. I was like, Start sweeping I was, up.
1: They're like, can you write? Do you have a degree? And I was like, no, but I'm a special operation army ranger. I can do anything. I was like, I can learn. I'm a really quick learner. And they're like, no, no. The editor said no. Anyways, fast forward a couple of years later, I ended up working there. But I'll talk about how I got to that point. So she kind of denied, she denied me the editor. And I ended up kind of just roaming the world and trying to go to school. I didn't like school. I was like, this is boring. This isn't who I am. I'm a person of adventure. I'm a person of action. You know, I don't want to be in school learning about things I don't want to learn about. And so I ended up taking off and traveling for a little bit. And I was like, you know what? I love to travel. I love to learn about the historical history of a location, of a city, of events. So I was like, I'm going to go back to school for history. So I'm going to school at Arizona State University. And Standing Rock kicked off back in 2016. And so I was a history major. And I was like, well, I can sit here and learn about history. Or I can go to Standing Rock and be a part of history. And I was like, so I'm gonna go to Standing Rock, dropped out of school again. <laughs> and I took off to Standing Rock while I was at Standing Rock, met so many amazing people. I met a lot of journalists there. And that's where I started to really fall into journalism. And I was like, what do you guys do? I wasn't like trying to become friends with them. I was just inadvertently we were drawn to each other and I was drawn to what they were doing. They're taking photos, they're interviewing people. And I was like, wow, this is this is really cool. Like, this is your job. Like, this is, they're like, yeah. And I was like, whoa, this, I thought journalism was like, you know, this whole like different world. Like, no, 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 this is what we do. You know, we're like, and these guys are all freelancers. So the main guy who took me under his wing is from France. He's an award winning journalist, photojournalist. I was roaming around with him. He gave me his camera, his extra camera. And he was like, yeah, let's follow me and I'll show you what I do. And, I'm just roaming around with him and he's like showing me how to take photos, how to talk to people. He's like, yeah, you know, you need to stay with the people for the people to trust you. And it was a very interesting experience learning, learning from him. And so when I left Standing Rock, I was like, you know, I saw so many non-native journalists there. There needs to be more native journalists there needs more and more voices for the native people, and I wanted to take that on. I was like, "Wow, this is actually something I enjoy." It's adaptability. You never know what's gonna happen. Remind me very much of the military, but not so structured. <laughs> so yeah, when I left-
0: generally aren't shooting at you, yeah.
1: Uh- <laughs> so when I left Standing Rock, I started telling people I'm a journalist. I'm a photojournalist.
0: You said that you ended up back at the the Navajo Times. Is as- is that what you approached them as, that I'm a, a photojournalist?
1: No. So it probably after Standing Rock, maybe a couple of years would go by before I actually told him all that. I actually went back to school and I was trying to go to school for journalism. Strangely enough, the director of journalism school, J School, looked at me and was like, Cyrus, so you're already doing this. Like, I looked you up. If you're already doing it, there's no need for you to do be a journalist. Go to J School. He goes, I would... I would encourage you to go to school for something else so that way you would have a specialty in something so that when you approach this, you can say, yeah, I have this degree in this. And I was like, oh, okay. So I kind of took his word for it. But I ended up joining the college newspaper. And that's where I got a lot of uh, good experience from there, learning from all these guys, a lot of these younger <laughs> younger cats. They're like interviewing people. And I was, just, I was just watching them. There's actually a part in there where I actually was a private military contractor So I ended up working for the Royal Air Force. I did that for a little bit. And then basically gathering intelligence and conducting surveillance on people to gather information and establish a terrorist network organization. So that's basically what I was doing, helping the Royal Air Force out with that as a private military contractor. So I ended up doing that for a little bit. COVID happened. I got let go. Because they were like, hey, we can't have this many people, so we're gonna let you go. So I did that, went back home to Navajo Nation. I was like, man, what what am I gonna do? And I was like, oh, I have all this experience in gathering intelligence. And at the same time, as a journalist, as a working with college newspaper, I approached, that's when I approached Navajo Times again. I was like, hey, I'm a photojournalist, like, you guys need, I can do whatever you guys want. And then they put me on a 90 day probation. Liked what they saw, like what I was doing. I actually wrote like two stories for them at the time. And then I ended up getting brought on.
0: Are you primarily a photojournalist or are you sort of a bit of both uh, a reporter and a, and a photojournalist? Well, I kind of
1: stepped away from photojournalism and really wanted to focus on writing. So I became a writer. So I was writing quite a bit. So that's kind of what I do right now. But I'm kind of stepping away from that as well. And going into what I actually want to do, which is video journalism, that's, I've always been passionate about video. So the awards that I got were for photo and for writing. And now that I kind of got like some weight to my name, I'm like, okay, I want to do, I want to do video now.
0: So you went to work for the Navajo Times. You know, what were the stories that you started out writing and, and what brought you to the, the stories that you got awards for involving missing and, and murdered indigenous people?
1: very first story I got, I couldn't do stories that were about festivals or, you know, any of that. Like, to me, I was like, that's not what I want to do. So the very first story I did with Navajo Times was about the police force and how they're trying to recruit people, how they're dealing with a lot of scrutiny. And with the Navajo police, like, they're covering 28,000 square miles for a population around 150,000 people living on a Navajo Nation, and overall there's probably close to 400,000 Navajos now, and there's only at the time there were 180 police officers covering that. Now it's probably around 200 or 210. Still not that big of a difference. So I was I was the first story I did. I, was, I did a story on that, and for some reason. I was being drawn to a lot of these stories of people going missing, people being murdered. I ended up being one of the only journalists to actually want to cover that. So I was like following this lady who was walking to the Navajo Capitol at the time, which was probably over 200 miles for her. She walked the whole way trying to raise awareness on it. Got to listen to a lot of these ladies' stories. I mean, a lot of women coming up to me telling me about their sister being murdered, their sisters or family member going missing. And so I was like, wow. And I would talk to a lot of these other journalists. One specifically, she she works on radio now, actually. And she was like, Cyrus, it's too hard for me. I, I can't do this anymore. Like, this is too difficult. I I, I can't listen to people talking about your sisters missing, sisters being murdered, mother going missing, you know, that type of stuff. But for me, it was like, okay, like this is, I don't want to say normal, but, you know, I, I could handle it. I was just like, okay, you know, I, I dealt with war. This is, you know, I was in Standing Rock. I saw people getting shot at, old people getting thrown to the ground and kicked and all that stuff. And I was like, oh, I can probably handle this. So it was very interesting. The more I dove into it, the more I realized like, oh my gosh, what why is this happening? What's going on? Like, what led to this? So I ended up finding this case that happened back in 1978. It's called the Oliphant versus Suquamish tribe. And basically, keep it short. A non-Native individual was living on the a reservation. And he ended up causing havoc with the tribal police there. And so the tribal police got him and said, hey, you can't be harassing people. You can't be harassing us, the cops. Threw him in jail. And so at that time period, they believe it, that natives were allowed to arrest non-natives. So he brought it up and said, I don't fall under any tribal law. I don't fall under any tribal jurisdiction. So they end up going all the way up to the Supreme Court and all of A- versus the Quamish tribe. The Supreme Court ruled, I believe it was six to two, that native tribes do not have jurisdiction in arresting non-native people or holding them. And that ended up being kind of a loophole for non-natives to get on reservations and basically get away with murder, which is happening to this day. And that's something that I found. I was like, oh, my gosh, like, what a house is going on? And you just keep going back. You start pulling these layers back from research. and You're like, oh, my gosh, like, why is this happening? Why is this going on? And something I always tell people is like, you know, if I'm I'm American, I go to Canada. And I committed a crime in Canada, but I say, oh, wait, no, I'm I'm American. These, these laws don't apply to me. No, no, no. The Canada's like, no, 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 no. Those laws apply to you. And so that's the way I see it. It's like, hey, you're going to a tribal nation. You should abide by those laws that are being held. So for my specific area, you know, there's laws here that people don't want to listen to. So that's kind of like how I end up getting into missing, murdered indigenous people. You just start pulling the layers, like an onion, pull more layers back. And you're like, holy smokes. So I've been doing that one well, currently. So I got with Navajo Times in 2021, I believe it was. And so since then, I just, I made it my beat. I've spoken to other native journalists who are just, you know, they don't want to take a part of it. There's actually a huge, like, organized crime around. No one really wants to be involved with that. And so I was like, you know, I'll take it on. And one of the things that a lot of people are really hard for, like some of these Other journalists, they see, you know, dead bodies. You know, the police officers showing dead bodies. But for me, I'm like, oh, okay, it's just, that's a dead body. Like, I've seen, (laughs) I've seen that. So I just ended up getting involved with that, doing it for, I want to say two years now or three years. I ended up kind of moving to Hawaii. I got involved with it there as well. I ended up meeting Hawaiians there. Like, I mean, it's crazy. You end up finding out about sex trafficking. You end up finding about human trafficking. These are things people don't want to be. Talk about people that want to be around. I, I ended up meeting this Navajo girl from my reservation who ended up being trafficked when she was 16. She didn't even realize she was being trafficked. And I was like, wow, so that's how it works. Like these people become your friends. They look for people who are vulnerable. They're a vulnerable situation for this particular young lady. She was, her father had passed away, but her grandmother didn't like her because of her mother. And so her mother was like a drunk or abusive. I don't recall the situation. So the, the mother couldn't take care of her. So she went in the hands of the grandmother and the grandmother did not want anything to do with her, treated her horribly. And so this young girl was just running off with whoever would have her, you know, take her in. So she ended up hanging out with these guys and these guys ended up just like basically selling her out. Like, Hey, if you want to stay here, you got to earn your money. You got to earn your keeping. So they end up forcing her to do sexual acts for for them, for other people. And then next thing you know, she's being trafficked. She's like, hey, we're going to Florida. You're going to make me money to go to Florida. And so she was living out in Florida. The guys weren't doing anything. She was getting put through all of those traumatic acts. So, you know, these are stories that a lot of these people, a lot of these ladies, they just come up to me and they tell me, they tell me so many things. And I'm just like, wow, you're just like, do you need a hug? So thinking, <laughs> <laughs> you know.
0: Are you writing these primarily for the Navajo news? Or are you trying to get them published elsewhere or have you published them elsewhere to maybe sort of get a wider understanding of what's going on?
1: So that was an issue. I, I found myself back in 2022, I was writing for these families, like families going missing, sons being murdered. And and I was just like, is what I'm writing really helping out? Because the Navajo audience, you know, the Native American community, they already know about this. They know about this already. It's like being a horse, you know, with a stick, a dead horse with a stick. Like everyone on the reservation knows about it. Everyone knows that this is a huge issue. And so I was like, man, this isn't this isn't really helping. So I ended up leaving Navajo Times because of that, because I wanted to be a freelancer and work for these bigger publications. So I ended up working for like Source New Mexico and um Native News Online. Indian country today, bigger native news outlets. But even then, I'm like, man, I don't think it's really helping me. So I'm actually looking right now to to go to a bigger audience because this is huge. It's not just my community. it's just all across the United States where Native Americans are going missing, being murdered mostly. And a lot of it goes back to that case that I talked about, Oliphant versus Quamish tribe. You go to Canada and it's huge out in Canada as well. So, something that I'm working on right now is trying to work with a bigger organization. And when I was in, um, accepted the award in New York this past October, I got to meet some people from New York times (laughs) and like individuals like, Hey, I really like that story that you want to work on. Let me know when you write it up and send it to me, I can show it to some other people. So I'm working my way toward these bigger, big publications.
0: Yeah. The point you bring up about the populace knows about it already. The community knows about it already, the Navajo community. So I'd imagine unless you're doing something different or unless you're fomenting some sort of change there, the point seems to be to take it to a bigger audience so that, you know, maybe something can be done about these laws that are being ignored. I'm thinking about the woman you said who walked 200 miles just to make, you know, people aware of this problem. So yeah, this is really sort of a vital thing you're doing is you're bringing a story that is not widely known or widely acknowledged. It may be known and hopefully get some sort of change. Have you seen any, like any of your reporting generated any type of change, interest, or investigation even?
1: I really haven't seen much, mostly because this goes right back to the same audience. And a lot of it is just, unfortunately, it's like, oh, well, that's not our community. You know, that's the Native community. They can handle that, basically. So that's what, I, what I'm like, kind of starting to see. I would say, though, that when I was writing about it, I'm not saying that my stories are the one that led to it, but Donald Trump did make a missing and murdered investigation unit for the Bureau of Indian Affairs, which falls underneath the Department of Interior. So, I mean, Donald Trump did that. So that's kind of what happened. Here on Navajo Nation specifically, they actually created a missing, murdered indigenous task force. So, like, you have the FBI, you have the local police, you have a lot of social workers involved with that. So, there are these like little organizations being put together, but I don't think that's necessarily helping. They're still going missing. Like, every other day, week, you'll hear someone just going missing, someone being murdered.
0: Now you mentioned that you're going to be a video journalist, or you're going into video. Tell me about that.
1: Actually, when I first got out of the military, I was uh, I was a YouTuber for a little while. I was on YouTube because people are always like, "Man, you're always doing something. You're always traveling, and you're always you know hiking, whitewater rafting, rock climbing." I wish I could go with you, but you know I don't have that, and so I ended up was like, you know, I'm gonna make my own YouTube video and kind of bring people along with me. So I was doing that for a little bit, and so. I was like really experimenting with my video work and how to do things and how to create a story with video. So I ended up doing that. And like one thing just kind of led to another. I ended up meeting this guy, Standing Rock, who's also another veteran, Air Force veteran a combat controller, which combat controllers are special operations with the Air Force. And he he was a filmmaker, just like straight filmmaker, video journalist, all about documentary and like he looked at some of my work and he's like, you know, where did you learn to do this? I was, like, oh, I was self-taught. I just YouTube video, try to listen and, and learn from what a lot of people are doing. I look at something and I, I learned that way. He's like, a lot of the stuff you're doing is actually better than filmmaking students who go to school for this. You should really think about making this more like legit, like make this an actual kind of a, a career. And so I ended up. Kind of just doing like odd jobs. Like I work for like a coffee company, <laughs> making making little videos. I I created my own like little skit with the puppet that I had. So I had this puppet and I was making videos with it because I wanted to practice making videos. So now I actually declined a job offer with PBS recently. And you know, they saw my work, they were like, hey, we, we like your work, but I declined. And so I was like, what I really want to do is stick with video journalism and i want to make documentaries so that's kind of kind back into what we were talking about missing bird indigenous people from my writing i've always felt like nothing was really happening nothing was going on nothing was sticking and one thing i've always found myself doing i'm sure many other journalists as well is they always find themselves watching documentaries and i was like you know what i need to make a documentary about this i know all these people on all these tribal members from California, South Dakota, Alaska, I have this opportunity to create a documentary. So I'm actually working on documentary right now, short documentary, just to show to investors and then sponsors so that way they can see it. And then after that, dive into the actual big, big documentary.
0: That sounds like a great plan and kind of see the arc of your you know, your life, as well as journalism, you know, looking for a way to express yourself and to tell the story that you need to tell. It's fascinating. You know, where do you hope to be in a couple of years? What do you want to accomplish?
1: Uh, uh, <laughs> so I'm actually, I'm working on a book right now. That's 40,000 words into it. So it's about my time in Standing Rock. I like to get that published. I'm also working on a another book. I just barely started it. I'm trying to finish the other book first. It's basically going to be about missing murdered indigenous people, about how I got into missing murdered indigenous people. Like what I found out, I mean, there, there's so many things out there that people don't realize. Like one of these young ladies was being held captive in the area. And she like, when asked, she was like, you know, I, I never left the Navajo Nation. I was being held here, me and a bunch of other girls, like in a basement. And I was like, holy smoke, like that's, that's, you know, that's unheard of. So I'm writing about these. Stories. Yeah,
0: their their family probably thought they were you know maybe far away or they or they've been killed or something, and mm-hmm. to find that they're still within the community somehow is really kind of almost worse in a way because it's like you're you know your own community not being the cause of it, but you know it's a problem that needs to be addressed both inside and outside the Navajo Nation, and I think you're right. Probably the best thing is to find a track that'll bring you to a place where you can tell that story to more people. Anyway, thank you for sharing your story with Osiris. Where can people find your work?
1: So I have, um, I have an Instagram, but I, I just scrapped everything on there now. So it's still there. You just find, look me up, Cyrus Norcross. And then I have a website. The actual website it's kind of strange. It's like a journalism website, but it's called like journal.portfolio norcross at cyrus.com. And it's a strange website. I, I'm planning on making my own website so that way I can actually have my own website and I can post more stuff on there. Like uh, Some of my video work I want to be able to post. So I have that. I got Twitter. I got Facebook as well.
0: Well, cool. Well, I wish you luck with this and, and you know, maybe I'll check in with you in a, in a year or so to see how things are going. Thanks for coming on. Thank you for your service to the country today. Actually, we're recording. This is Veterans Day. I don't know if you say have a happy Veterans Day, but know that people are uh, appreciative of your service. Thanks for coming on the podcast Cyrus. Oh, thank you. You've been listening to It's All Journalism, a weekly podcast about the people who report the news. You can find out more about us and download past episodes at itsalljournalism.com. While you're visiting our website, sign up for the It's All Journalism newsletter. To make sure you don't miss an episode of It's All Journalism, you can subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Play, Amazon, and pretty much anywhere good podcasts are found. If you'd like to help us grow our podcast, like and share our episodes on social media. Look for us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. It takes a lot of people to create an episode of It's All Journalism. Nicola Grisco is our audio producer, Amber Healy writes our web content. Amelia Brust is our booking manager. Steph Thomas manages our social media. Nick Dupre composed our theme music. Carolyn Belewski designed our logo. And I'm your host, Michael O'Connell. Thanks for listening.